This is the Valley Labor Report. My name is Jacob Morrison, here with my co-host and fellow agitator, Adam Keller. We are broadcasting live online and on the radio from the heart of the Tennessee Valley, the Spice Radio Studio in Huntsville, Alabama. Today, Alabama coal miners are still on strike. We get an update from Brian Sanson, the UMWA International Secretary-Treasurer. A Republican state representative is explicitly siding with Westrock in the Alabama paper mill lockout, and Democrats are silent. All that and more on today's program. If you want to be part of the show today, we've got a phone number, and the line is open. That phone number is 844-899-TVLR. Um got a text from Athens saying we need to unmute me for the radio. Not sure if we've taken care of that. Uh, But if you want to be part of the program today, we've got a phone number and the line is open. You can call or text 844-899-TVLR. That is 844-899-8857. You can also leave a voicemail or send us a text message throughout the week and we might answer it on the next program. If you haven't gotten enough of us by the time that we wrap here on the radio, or if you just want to see what we're up to throughout the week, then you can find us anywhere you find anything online. We're on Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Twitch, TikTok, all at The Valley Labor Report. Just a reminder, your support helps us stay on the air. Our largest single source of funding comes directly from our listeners. So if you want to become a sustaining member of of the program, make a one-time donation or buy our hat or a join a union t-shirt we actually i found a uh, i found one of our old hat or one of not our old hats but the the good things union graph hat um i found one of those or a couple of those in my car like hiding under like hiding under a bunch of like old books and stuff. Uh, so they are fine and they still look good. So we've got a few more of those left. And we have uh, and, and I also find found in that same bag uh, one more join a union tea. It is large and it is red. So uh, send us a message if you want that. First come, first serve. You can donate uh, on our website, tvlr.fm, or tvlr.fm slash donate, or tvlr.fm slash store. You can also become a patron at patreon.com slash the Valley Labor Report. If you're a member of a union, then think about getting your local to sponsor the show. You can reach out to us for more details on that. 
So I had a great, um, I had a great Christmas. Um, looking forward to hanging out with some folks tonight for New Year's. We got a, a message in the chat. Welcome back, folks. Uh, how was your break? And yeah, it was good. It was good. Um, I I uh, I got this really nice jacket actually from from David. So that was a really nice thing that he did. Um, and I have been wearing it everywhere. <laughs> um, and going to hang out with some folks tonight in Birmingham for New Year's Eve. Going to be a lot of fun. Going to be a lot of fun. I understand that Adam uh, got his kid a set of drums, which is... <laughs> a very brave thing to do as a parent. A very brave thing to do as a parent. Definitely. Um but he said that she's doing good on him. So, so uh, with that out of the way, let's go ahead and get into our first segment. That is going to be last week in Southern Labor. We do that segment mostly every week. And in that segment, we tell you what happened in the labor movement in the South. We pull the information from Jonah Furman's newsletter, Who Gets the Bird?, which compiles all this information for the entire United States. So if you want to see what's going on outside of the South, then subscribe to his newsletter. That is whogetsthebird.substack.com. And with that, let's jump into new organizing for the week of December 11th to the 18th. He took a week off after the 18th, and we took the week off of, you know, subsequent to that. So this, this is about two weeks old, but... Nevertheless, in new organizing, we had 150 workers for industrial contractor Brown and Root out of Baton Rouge, Louisiana, who were organizing with the United Steelworkers Union. 34 building engineers and maintenance staff at George Washington University in D.C. are unionizing with operating engineers Local 99. 25 workers for defense contractor Amentum at the Naval Air Station in New Orleans are joining IUECWA. For Jacobin, Cody Melcher wrote about the Unite Here Union Drive at the New Orleans Lo Loyola University. So definitely check that out. It also uh, goes into some broader themes about unionism at Catholic institutions more broadly. Elsewhere in the same city, the independent Lowe's Union in New Orleans withdrew its petition because, get this, they didn't have a name listed on their authorization cards for their independent union, which had not been named at the time they began collecting authorization cards, which the NLRB had previously told them was fine, but they then backtracked after pressure from Lowe's and said that even though they had 45% of the, car, uh, of the uh, bargaining unit had signed cards, that they're going to have to start the process over again. That's a bummer. Yes. Just a really, really big bummer. In wins and losses, 12 fire captains at the Oak Ridge National Lab in Oak Ridge, Tennessee, voted 11-1 to 1 to join the International Association of Firefighters, Local I-101. Eight workers for Heritage Fire Protection in Ashland, Kentucky, deadlocked one-to-one, -one, thus not joining UA Local 669. In strikes and bargaining, around 100 stores participated in Starbucks Workers United's three-day double-down strike, which is the union's biggest action yet. 
The teachers union in Escambia County, Florida has a deal with the district, but some members are not happy with it and are protesting the agreement. Hundreds of United ALPA pit pilots picketed the company's board meeting in Houston amid their ongoing contract fight. Elsewhere in airline labor, 8,300 customer service workers with the machinists at Southwest ratified a new deal after having voted down a previous proposal. Railroad workers rallied in about a dozen cities a couple weeks ago, generally bringing attention to the, to the issues workers face across the industry, from, quote, precision scheduled railroading, unquote, to the fight against one-man crews, to also a now well-known lack of sick days. It comes amid a push for executive action on granting rail workers paid sick days. So far, nothing from the White House on that. In politics and legislation, federal workers have been pushing for the reconfirmation of Ernest Dubester to the Federal Labor Relations Authority to preserve the Democratic majority on the Federal Labor Board for many, many months, and for some reason it still hasn't happened. You can add this to the list of pro-labor partisan no-brainers, like funding the NLRB that for some reason don't seem to be a priority for the Democratic leaders. In internal union politics, Eddie Hall, a working railroad engineer, has won the presidency of the Brotherhood of Locomotive Engineers and Trainmen, which is an associate uh, and affiliate of the Teamsters Union, ousting 12-year incumbent Dennis Pierce to lead the second largest freight rail union. On Friday, Dennis Pierce released a statement that an internal board found election violations. Sure that require the vote to be rerun, but also announced that he would not be seeking re-election. So, Eddie Hall does win the presidency, but technically only because Dennis Pierce retires. Yeah, okay. Well, I hey, I think it's interesting that a uh, outsider won this union election immediately in the aftermath of this major yes. contract battle with the rails. So, you know, who knows what that could lead. As the UFCW internal fight rams up before their 2023 convention this spring, the International's organizing director, Todd Crosby, resigned in protest and has joined the staff of UFCW Local 3000, which is the most vocal local in ch calling for change in the union. That's a very big deal as well. Uh, so we're going to go ahead and head to our first break. Don't go anywhere, though. We are going to be talking to UMWA International Secretary Treasurer Brian Sanson about the Warrior Mat Strike in Alabama. Stay tuned. Hometown Action is a grassroots organization building a multiracial working class movement for racial, gender, economic, and environmental justice in Alabama's rural communities. We stand in solidarity with Alabama workers and are proud to support the Valley Labor Report's efforts to inform and build the Southern Worker Movement. Please visit hometownaction.org and follow our social media channels at Hometown Action to learn more about how you too can get involved to make the South a better place for all workers. Solidarity, y'all. IBW558 is like a great football team. You've got to have the aptitude, skills, and knowledge to outperform the competition. If you're a non-union electrician, now is the perfect time to get off the sideline and join our team. We have the absolute best wages and benefit package in North Alabama and Southern Tennessee. It's because our team stands together, bargains together, and our families benefit from it. With immediate openings, you have the opportunity to see why the IBW is the right choice. 
Energy Alabama is a locally operated and membership-based nonprofit organization focused on advancing Alabama's clean energy future through education and advocacy. Many people in charge of infrastructure and building decisions simply don't know about how viable clean and renewable energy is. To that end, Energy Alabama has provided instruction to more than thousands of adults and tens of thousands of K-12 students across the state. We're working hard to build careers in clean energy and help everyday Alabamians save money on their utility bills. Learn more about our work and how you can join us at energyalabama.org. Support for the Valley Labor Report comes from the International Federation of Professional and Technical Engineers Union. Learn more by visiting www.ifpte.org. The attorneys at Maples, Tucker & Jacobs have stood with the working people of Alabama for over 40 years, providing skilled legal representation for your workplace injury claims. When you are injured on the job, it can be a scary time. The attorneys at Maples, Tucker & Jacobs have the experience to guide you through the process to make sure that you and your family are properly taken care of and your rights are protected. If you need help, call the attorneys at Maples, Tucker & Jacobs at 855-617-9333 or visit online at www.mtnj.com. No representation is made that the quality of legal services provided is greater than the quality of legal services provided by other law firms. Support for this program comes from the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local 136, out of Central Alabama. Learn more at IBEW136.org. Attention union members, membership organizations, podcasters, or anyone with a payment processing need. The future is here, and your organization needs to be prepared by working with Unionly. With Unionly, your union or organization can take payments on a mobile device, eliminating processing fees, giving you a better price than other payment processing methods, while at the same time supporting a union-friendly business with a specialized skill set to meet your needs. Your members will thank you when they pay their dues at their convenience without waiting in line to deposit cash or check. Start preparing for the future today by calling 206-595-8631 or visiting unionly.io. Are you looking for a better future, a career that can have you set for life, and to be a part of something that's bigger than yourself? If you are, then consider a skilled trades apprenticeship with the International Union of Painters and Allied Trades. The work of IUPAT is all around us, from the industrial painters who work on the bridges to drywall finishers, floor coverers, the glazers who install the glass in our skylines, and so much more. With an IUPAT apprenticeship, you earn while you learn and receive benefits while learning the trade, including a pension. We provide world-class education free of charge. That's right, no student debt. Our starting salaries for apprentices that graduate is above the national median salary with benefits for entire families. And you have the flexibility to take your trade wherever you'd like in the country to work. IUPAT District Council 77 covers our entire region, so give Adam Booth a call at 205-603-3142 for more information. Again, that phone number is 205-603-3142. Come build a better future with us today and join IUPAC. I'm all you poor workers, good news to you, I'll tell how the good old union has come in here to dwell. Labor creates all wealth. All wealth should go to labor. And you are listening to the Valley Labor Report. My name is Jacob Morrison here with my co-host and fellow agitator, Adam Keller. 
If you got anything to add, you can give us a call or send us a text. The phone number is 844-899-TVLR. That is 844-899-8857. You can also join us in our Facebook or YouTube chats online. Our first guest this morning is Brian Sanson. He is the International Secretary Treasurer of the United Mine Workers of America. Several hundred members of which are still on strike against Warrior Matt Cole in Alabama. Brian, thanks for taking the time to talk to us this morning. Thank you all for having me. Um, this is a difficult situation we find ourselves in leading into 2023, but um, the members in uh, Alabama remain um, dedicated to the strike and uh, continue to fight every day. So we're. Um, we're hoping 2023 is a little better year than um, 2022. Absolutely, and that, and that's and I know that so many folks are behind y'all, uh, as are are we, obviously. And uh, we are about 20 months in at this point. Um, and how uh, you know you you mentioned that that folks are still dedicated to the strike, still holding strong. Um, how are, you know, how, how are y'all holding up the, um, you know, the, the negotiating team and, and folks like that? Well, the negotiations have been frustrating since the beginning. Um, you know, when a company puts more money into um, trying to break a strike than they do the contract that could have been in place, you know, for the next five years, it's obviously frustrating. Their proposals haven't really uh, improved in you know since April of mm. 2021. So you know this is a long time to be negotiating and really just uh, moving money around from one pot to another pot. Um, it's you know they just even with the record coal prices that are that the company enjoys. Um, which is the only reason the strikes even lasted this long. You know, absent these coal prices, this company could have never afforded to mine coal with the, the workforce they have now because their costs are much higher without the UMWA workers. Um, so the, um, but they don't see that, that operational pain because uh, coal prices are higher than they've been that I've been in the industry for going on 30 years now. I've never seen mm -hmm. them this high. Um, I don't know that they've ever been this high. Right. And, uh, you know, that hides a multitude of sins within the company. Um, but our folks in uh, Alabama, you know, they're from all over the United States. They're down there working. They leave their families. Um, you know, this has been a tough couple of years for them. And, but, you know, they believe in the union, they believe in this strike, and they believe in the employees at Warrior Met. And, you know, they're they're in it for the long haul, just like, you know, every member of the United Mine Workers is. And, you know, I, I think that that's an important point to to underscore. And I don't know um, if you have, have any of the, the actual numbers, like, off the top of your head, but the... Um, but, the company wouldn't be a. You said it. The company wouldn't be able to do this under normal circumstances. They're not operating at their full capacity. Uh, I understand that the union came out with a report showing that they missed out on a billion dollars 
in revenue that they could have had if they had all of your members in there working, all of these experienced miners who some of them that, I, that I've spoken to, you know, 10, 20, 30 years in the mines, right? These folks know how to mine coal, um, and there's a lot of them. And they're not operating at full capacity. The people that they've got in, they don't have the experience. Um, and, and so, you know, what are some of, what are some of those numbers on the, um, you know, how, how they're operating? Do y'all have a good idea that, of that? Well, they lost over seven hundred million in in revenue just in. Oh my little cheat sheet. I think in twenty one and twenty two. Um, and it was it was one point two billion um, based upon you know their historical tonnage mm-hmm. versus what they've been mining with these folks. But you know it's uh, unfortunately again the coal pricing um, has has you know hidden those things or the investors that it uh, that are actually losing this money don't view it that way because they're still seeing dividends and returns right. on their, uh, on their investment. So it's unfortunately, I think what you, what you run into with these monster hedge funds is that, you know, you've got number crunchers that don't look at the, the upside. They look at, um, you know, what, what, what is actually there, not what could be there. And, um, they haven't really pressed the company to, um, to, you know, to, to settle this strike. Um, Black at one Rock. point, it, yeah. At one point, it seemed like BlackRock was was chastising Warrior Met, but that's been several months ago now, and and I haven't heard anything else about that. Why? Why do you think it is that you know? Because it seems to me like if I'm a um, you know, I, I'm somebody that wants to make as much money as I can, and I hear you know I've missed out on 1.2 billion dollars for what and for what right for no reason. Uh, that would make me upset, and and. BlackRock, you know, sent a letter saying, you know, it, it's in the best interest of the shareholders to settle this strike, and uh, you know, I haven't heard anything out of them since then. Yeah, well, you know, hedge funds are in the business of making money, and that's it. And they're not in the business of caring about communities or workers. You know, the union was protesting in front of their buildings in New York and other places, and you know, uh, they wrote the letter. Uh, it's something that I never thought that a hedge fund would do. And, um, but unfortunately they're one hedge fund and there's a lot of them that, Mm. you know, make up this company that have not put any pressure in the vanguards, the fidelities of the world, uh, you know, just all the major normal players, uh, in the investment world have, uh, just haven't, uh, haven't, haven't put that same kind of, uh, statement out there so it's 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 frustrating it's frustrating to watch uh you know people make money and you really do nothing to 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 help the workers in alabama that uh, to sit back and watch people profit and it, you know that it's uh, it, it it's it's upsetting it, it's it's upsetting for these families and you know the folks at Warrior Met. You talk with them, and you're, you you try to explain to them, look, look what's going on here. This is your backyard. This is, these are your neighbors, and uh, they just they don't care. And it's uh, 
it, it, it's a terrible situation. And uh, these, these folks, you know, they, they, they struggle now and they've been struggling since the strike started. And can you remind us, because I think that, you know, 20 months on, I, I, I think that some folks really, or well, probably a lot of folks never understood actually just the kind of things that, that your members went through at Warrior Med and the things that they gave up that they sacrificed for the company in 2015 that they wanted some restoration of, and which was which was it. You know, it's not like they were asking for more than they made in 2015. Um, so remind folks what uh, what the issues were, why your members decided to strike. Uh, that's that's a good point. So in 15, uh, the same management team that's there now made purchases that, you know, were really questionable. And it ended up that those purchases were a big reason the company went into bankruptcy. They filed bankruptcy. They cut off the health care to 2,500 former coal miners at Jim Walters Resources. They got a court order that allowed them to exit our 1974 pension plan owing about a billion dollars of unpaid withdrawal liability. And then they cut the workers' time off drastically. They um, they eliminated their current health care, their, their past health care uh, benefit plan, and instituted a very high deductible plan. And they cut their wages by $6 an hour. So in 2015, when the rest of the industry was enjoying a, a much more lucrative uh, package to work in the mines, these were some of the lowest coal paid, the lowest paid coal miners in the United States. And here we are in 2023 getting ready to start. And their wage package really isn't substantially better at all. And you know, their benefit packages are substandard within the industry. So it's, it, this is a, these folks have given up a lot. The people who made this company and, you know, drove all the, the profits, you know, made this, the folks that are running this company millions of dollars and the investors millions of dollars. Yeah. The mm-hmm. investor that was Apollo that basically was, one of the lead hedge funds in the bankruptcy, they um, they received all their money back. Right. They received they received huge dividends in um, 17, 18, and then 19. They were gone. Then. Uh, they took their money and left. Mm. And uh, and then you know for you know and it's just greed. I mean, it's all it really is because the company can clearly afford to pay uh, these miners a living wage and you know they they would prefer to to punish them to leave them out on strike and you know go to christmases with you know families you know struggling and right. it it it's a terrible thing to watch it's terrible to be a part of but it's it's worse when you talk to these families and you see what they're going through it's I don't know, it, it, it's heartbreaking and it's hard to believe that, I mean, look, all companies can be 
difficult. They all put a bottom line over top of people, but Warrior Med seems to be enjoying this. They seem to, this is a lesson to be learned for, for workers in Alabama, workers in the South, and they they want to they want to punish these workers as much as possible, and that's what's that, quite frankly that's what's going on over the last two years. And now I want to I, I want to create a comparison for the audience. Um, you just you just went through all of these things, how these workers sacrificed because of the management's decisions, right? Y'all didn't. I'm I'm assuming, and correct me, y'all didn't get a vote on these investment decisions that the management team made, right? That's correct. That so, these investment decisions, the, the management team that is still there, still the same CEO, Walter Scheller, same guy that took the company into bankruptcy, he's still there. Y'all didn't make these investment decisions, but y'all sacrificed. Your members sacrificed six dollars an hour, cuts to their health care, uh, cuts to the retirement, cuts to their time off. All of this. That's a a six dollar an hour cut alone. That alone is a significant sacrifice to save the company. The company became profitable again, and and you know and and they're not they're not interested in, in restoring or even as I understood it, meeting inflation with their contract offer. Um, what were the sacrifices that management made uh, to bring the company out of bankruptcy? Did they take did they take a pay cut? Um, did they go down in the mines to help y'all out? Uh, no, it's the exact opposite of why they were in bankruptcy. The executive team received uh, huge bonuses approved by the bankruptcy courts. Mm. Um, and they continue to uh, to still receive these huge incentive packages. Um, you know, the CEO is one of the higher paid CEOs in the coal industry right now. It's just, it's so, 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 so gross. Um and so what about the how I, I I didn't ask you about this yesterday and, and so if you don't feel like talking about this that's fine but how are you feeling about the state and the federal response to this strike well the state response has been one that you know it, it has been completely and totally for the company they uh, the police um, you know, harass the strikers. And when I say the police, this is the Tuscaloosa County Sheriff's Department, uh, Jefferson County. And and the Alabama State Police, you know, by order of the governor, uh, escort the strikers to work. So, you know, at, at the state level, it's just atrocious what's going on. Anytime you know, that any kind of litigation has occurred or... Um, the union has, has brought in the action, even to the Alabama State Supreme Court. The state Supreme Court goes as far as to, to issue uh, rulings with no commentary at all. So there's nothing to um, nothing to appeal mm. because you know, they just say, well, the union's wrong, period. And, um, you know, it's very frustrating. On the federal level, uh, extremely disappointed in uh, the Mine Safety and Health Administration. The union is the uh, designated miners rep. So we act by definition in the act, Mine Safety Act. We have a right to inspect those coal mines hmm. every single time a federal inspector goes underground. The federal 
government has acknowledged this, but will not enforce it. They write a the most minimal fine possible and our our safety inspectors are not allowed to go underground. They do they're having accidents. They just had an accident over the holidays. Um, you know, ice accumulated in the shaft fell and injured several workers. If the union would have been there inspecting that mine, that would have never happened. But you know, but it, it's it's this is a this is a a fault of our government, and they're letting these miners in Alabama down. And not only the safety issues, but there's been some environmental issues as well since the strike began. I I have this tweet uh, that I just pulled up from the Black Warrior Riverkeeper. Um, with pictures of a nasty wastewater discharge laden with uh, petroleum hydrocarbons in the river from the mine, uh, from mine number seven. And this is, as I understand it, this is not some, and this is not the first time or the second time or the third time that they've they've seen stuff like this. And and that didn't happen when y'all were down there. Yeah, I mean, when you have a full complement of union workers in the mine. It allows management to focus on the things that they should be focused on. You know, you've got managers in, underground actually working a mine coal, and that's not their job. Their job is to make sure that the mines are in safely and efficiently, and that you know things like what you're talking about don't happen. These discharges don't get into the environment, so. You know, this is a this is a cause of being shorthanded, and it's a cause of not focusing on the the, the broader business plan. Uh, Brian Sanson, International Secretary Treasurer for the United Mine Workers of America. Is there anything else that? Uh, uh, how can folks help? Um, and and is there anything else that that you wanted to touch on? Uh, we've received over two million dollars in. Uh, donations that go directly to these strikers. There's no administrative fees taken out. Nobody from the union gets paid. That money goes directly from the donator to the striker. You can go to our website and you can donate. And that money is completely remarked just for the folks in Alabama on strike. Um, it's www.umwa.org. And um, I think that that's, one of the things that folks can do to help these people the most. Um, we, we pay them strike benefits. We pay their health care while they're on strike. But, you know, it's not the money they're used to making. And any additional uh, donations help these folks. And, you know, there's, it's, it's hard come time for school. It's hard at Christmas time. You know, all these folks are, you know, God bless every one of them because they're, they're some of the finest people I've ever seen. But th- this is a, this is a toll on every family down there. Absolutely, Brian Sanson, International Secretary Treasurer of the UMWA. Thanks for taking the time to talk to us this morning. Thank you, Lon. Thanks for all you do. Appreciate it. Um, before we head to, it's just a, I I can't, I don't know, I can't understand it, and I can't understand how. No federal or state politician is is doing anything. I I don't I don't understand it. Doesn't yeah, make sense to me. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I think something Brian said earlier in that interview that really stood out to me is is that it feels as if 
both Warrior Matt and their allies are trying to teach Alabama and Southern workers a lesson with yep. this strike. You know, if you dare have the audacity to stand up for yourself, this is the sort of obstruction you're going to get. Uh, and so, yeah, I think that's why it's so important that all of us as working class people rally behind these miners because their fight is ultimately our fight as well. Yeah. Before we head to a break, I wanted to touch on this. Congress passed an omnibus bill last week that includes increased funding for the NLRB. And shortly after that, the NLRB union was able to come to a new agreement with the general counsel to expand telework to six days per pay period, six days every two weeks. Um, which is, that's what my telework agreement is. Uh, That avoids a reversal to the pre-pandemic telework posture and makes NLRB jobs more competitive in this market. So, you know, I think think folks are still figuring out what all is in this big omnibus. Uh, Some of it's pretty good, some of it's pretty cool, um, and some of it uh, is, of course, pretty bad. (laughs) Yeah. I wanted to update y'all on that since we've been following this story. Uh, you'll recall that the NLRB has been flat funded since 2010 or 2014, which amounts to a 25% funding cut when you at, uh, when you account for inflation. Um, and obviously, since 2010, 2014, we do not have 25% fewer workers in the United States, right? We have more workers, and we have more union elections, and we have more unfair labor practices. Um, but as a result of this uh, effective funding cut, the agency was unable to hire new staff, unable to fill positions as people retired, as people got new jobs, and wait times for the agency's work product increased. In fact, field staff, according to the NLRB, is half of what it used to be. While union election petitions and unfair labor practice charges are up significantly, uh, doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out what happens when you put more work on fewer people, right? So this funding increase is $25 million on top of what they have gotten for the past 10 years, uh, which was about $275 million. Uh, so this increase is, you know, a little less than 10%, uh, which, you know, matches inflation for one year, for this year. Uh, it's better than flat funding, but uh, they certainly need more. And I'm, I'm really worried that, you know, this is going to be the last increase that they get in a long time because of the Republicans controlling the House and the Republicans refusing to uh, fund law enforcement because that's what the NLRB is, in a way, enforcing labor law. Uh, but they don't want to enforce the law when the recipient of that enforcement would be rich folks or bosses. Joseph Webb, an NLRB attorney in Birmingham and president of the NLRB union, Local 10, said this in a statement to the Valley Labor Report on the funding increase and the telework agreement. Quote, this is a wonderful end of the year for the NLRB, and we're thrilled that the general counsel has decided to stand with us in the same way she's standing for workers across the United States. NLRB Local 10 members are committed to ensuring that our allotment of the increased budget and the increased telework benefits result in improvements in the rights of every worker employed in the jurisdiction of NLRB Region 10. So, glad to see that from them. Yeah, glad to get a little bit of good news. A little bit of good news. A little bit of good news. Uh, So we're going to go ahead and take our last break. We will be right back talking about uh, the paper mill lockout and wrapping up, heading into overtime. So stay tuned. You're listening to The Valley Labor Report. 
Energy Alabama supports consumers and is a leader in advocating for them. We have been able to successfully fight off utility rate increases in the state, reduce fees for electric vehicles, increase electric vehicle infrastructure spending, and secured a $100 million refund by Alabama Power after the utility overcharged customers for fuel. To learn more about our work advocating for customers and join the fight, go to energyalabama.org. There's a lot of talk about a shortage of workers, but that's not the case with IBW558. We have provided our customers over 3,000 workers and performed over 3 million man hours in a pandemic year. With 8,000 OJT hours, 900 classroom hours, OSHA 30, and a state license, our members receive the equivalent of a master's degree. That's what makes IBW558 the right choice for your electrical needs. Look us up at Facebook or at IBW558.org. North Alabama DSA is looking for folks to work for a better North Alabama. They prioritize mutual aid, municipal activism, and union solidarity. Contact them on social media or dsanorthalabama at gmail for more information. Support for this program is provided by the International Association for Machinists and Aerospace Workers, Local Lodge 44 in Decatur, Alabama. Learn more at iamaw44.org. Hometown Action is a grassroots organization building a multiracial working class movement for racial, gender, economic, and environmental justice in Alabama's rural communities. We stand in solidarity with Alabama workers and are proud to support the Valley Labor Report's efforts to inform and build the Southern Worker Movement. Please visit hometownaction.org and follow our social media channels at Hometown Action to learn more about how you too can get involved to make the South a better place for all workers. Solidarity, y'all. Support for this program also comes from the Iron Workers, Local 477. So if you are looking for contractors with lower than average EMR and TRIR, uh, they tell me that if you need to know what those mean, then you will. Uh, or if you need to supplement a workforce at any level for any amount of time, short or long term, if you need iron workers that come trained and certified at no extra cost, or if you need workers from superintendent down to general laborer, and you're looking to start work on a project or you're unhappy with your current contractor situation, you need to call my friend Jeb Miles with the Ironworkers Local 477. They only work with the best in the business, vetted contractors, and can do all kinds of jobs from roofing to steel and bridge erection, from welding to heavy rigging, from structural repairs to machinery alignment, and much more. They supply manpower on four of the five largest projects in North Alabama, so you know they're legit. If you need good quality, safe, efficient, diligent, and knowledgeable workers on your job, then you need the Iron Workers Local 477. Call Jeb Miles at 256-383-3334 or via email at local477 at bellsouth.net and make sure you tell them that you heard about them on the Valley Labor Report. 
We're the nurses, firefighters, and claims representatives that help keep our government services running. We respond to natural disasters. We care for our nation's veterans, and we investigate discrimination in the workplace. We are federal and D.C. government workers, and we are proud to serve the American people. Working in more than 70 agencies across the government, we know we can fulfill our mission because our union has our back. Learn more at AFGE. Org. Paid for by the American Federation of Government Employees, AFL-CIO. Support for this program also comes from the Mid-South Council of Retail, Wholesale, and Department Store Union. Learn more at rwdsu.info. Come on, you poor workers, good news to you, I'll tell how the good old union has come in here to dwell. Alabama's only talk radio show you are listening to the valley labor report my name is jacob morrison here with my co-host and fellow agitator adam keller and we are broadcasting live online and on the radio from the heart of the tennessee valley the spice radio studio in huntsville alabama Hearing that ad from uh, Ed Flash Ference of ohio reminded me that last week i was on his program america's workforce which is uh, I'm pretty sure America's only daily union radio program. Um, they are uh, live in Ohio every weekday afternoon. Um, and he has been, he told me that this year, 2023, is going to be their 30th year on the radio. That's great. Uh, and so I told him, I was like, well, this is going to be our third. So uh, <laughs> we're catching up. Um, so I really enjoyed it, as I always do when I go on America's Workforce. You should uh, check it out. And if you don't listen to America's Workforce regularly, then you absolutely should. Uh, it's a fantastic, uh, really, the guy gets, generally what he does, he'll, he'll, he'll hit, I don't know, like half a dozen new segments really quickly you know just some headlines and a little bit of commentary then he'll have two guests during the show uh and and it's almost always just like a local business manager from a trade union or a local union president or, or a steward or talking about a grie- or, you know a grievance case or something like it's it's really cool you're able to get an idea of what is going on in local unions um across the country highly recommend it couldn't recommend it enough and so if you want to see uh if you want to listen to my appearance on the program on his program then you can search uh the title that he has for the article that that they did up for my appearance on it is uh morrison rebukes alabama senator for chastising millennials work ethic um so check that out we talked about uh the paper mill lockout and we talked about our response to U.S. Senator from Alabama, Tommy Tuberville, saying that young folks don't work um, somehow. So that was a lot of fun. I enjoyed it. Always have, always have a good, uh, always have a good time. So uh, let's talk about this. Nearly 500 paper workers are still locked out by Westrock, uh, which is a paper company at an Alabama paper mill in Cottonton, which is just south of Columbus, Georgia. Their uh, their mill, I spent a couple of days, uh, I actually just got back really late on Thursday night. I appreciate uh, Jared Leggett 
who is acting vice president for the International Federation of Professional and Technical Engineers Union here, Local 27, in Huntsville. Uh, he is a NASA employee and representing NASA employees. He drove me down there and drove me back. Uh, we got back just short of 11 on Thursday night. Uh, and it's actually so close to the Alabama-Georgia line that my phone... I was so confused the whole time I was there because I never knew what time zone I was in because my phone would say three and then the next minute it would say four and then the next minute it'd say three thirteen. You know, it was just it was so confusing. I could never I could never rely on my phone. That was very irritating. Uh, West Rock is trying to remove penalties for long hours and seven day weeks that these workers have had in their contracts for as long as the mill has been open. Uh, those penalties being the Sunday premium and what's known as hog law in the industry. Uh, to help you all understand the importance of these provisions, these protections against overwork, though, I want to explain their schedule really quick. I've done this on the show before, but they've been locked out now. They've been locked out for three months since October the 6th. So I want to explain again the schedule that they work really quick. It's called the Reverse Southern Swing Shift, and it's seven-day weeks, The and it's in three rounds. The first round... They work a seven-day week from uh, uh, from midnight to 8 a.m. Then they get one day off. One day off. And then they work another seven days from 4 p.m. to 12 a.m. Then they get one day off before they do another seven days from 8 to 4. And then they get three days off. Wow, right. Um so that's the reverse southern swing shift, and that's their normal schedule is seven eights, three cycles in a row. Uh, but these workers have been working seven twelves more often than they're working seven eights, and a 16-hour shift isn't uncommon, and sometimes they're even asked to stay beyond that. Even with these provisions in the contract, get this, over 40% of all the hours worked in this mill are overtime. Nearly half, nearly half of every single hour that they work is overtime. I talked to one worker. He said his average over the last two, uh, last two years is actually 49%. So it is actually effectively half of all the time that he worked was over 40 hours a week. It's just insane. So they rightly, they rightly worry that if these penalties are taken out, the company will work them even more than they already are. So let's talk about what those penalties are. The penalties are Sunday premium and hog law. Sunday premium states that any Sunday that you work, you get time and a half at least uh, in their contract. You get time and a half at least, and if you've already worked 40, then you get double time on Sunday. And they set that up because originally, right, Folks didn't even want to work on Sunday at all. Right. It's a day for family. A it's day a day for, for family, church. worship, church, rest. And so paper mills, to get people to work on Sunday, they said, look, you know, I understand working seven days a week. That's, you know, that's tough. And so to compensate you for the sacrifice that you're making to the company to make, you know, damn paper, We'll pay you time and a half. We'll pay you we'll pay you time and a half or we'll pay you double time and that's going to be your compensation. That's going to, you know, that's us 
you know, giving an olive branch to you, saying, I understand you don't want to work on Sundays, so this is what we'll do for you. And so they've had this, this mill open since 60, in 66. They've had that the whole time, right? And they're wanting to take it away. They're wanting to take it away. Uh, and it's not that they're not even saying at the table, we don't have the money for it. We don't have the money because they couldn't say that. They're a publicly traded company. You can go right now and look at West Rock's profits. They made more money than they ever have in the history of the company in 2021. They made $3.5. $4 billion in profit. That's so much money, $3.4 billion in profit, that if they just took half of it, if they just took half of it and divvied it up equally between all of their 50,000 employees globally, that'd be like a $30,000 bonus for each employee. You just take half of their profits. It's insane, and they're trying to take this from them. The other one that they're trying to take out of the contract is hog law. That states that if we ask you to work 16 hours, but beyond 16 hours, which is ungodly, right? Working beyond 16 hours is insane. That's not safe. If we do that, then the whole shift turns into time and a half. You get time and a half for the whole shift. Not just if, if the shift turns into 17 hours, you don't just get time and a half for the 17th hour, you get it for the whole shift. And that's meant, it's really not even meant to be a bonus for these people. It's, what it's meant to do is to discourage management from even allowing this to happen in the first place, right? You shouldn't be working people more than 16 hours. And so this is there to disincentivize the company from doing that and to incentivize the company to properly staff the mill so that you don't have to ask people to stay for 20 hours for 24 hours in a row that's insane and so the company's trying to take this out they're already working with these provisions 40 to 50 percent of their hours are overtime and so they're like no way no way if we take these provisions out we're, you're going to work us even more than we already are. Right. Which is obvious, right? O I mean, duh. <laughs> Obviously, that's what would happen. In addition to their concerns about overwork, the union says that if they work the same hours, just the same hours, which, you know, presumably they're going to wor be working even more, especially the first few months to make up for the lost production during the lockout. They say that if they just work the same hours with those provisions being removed under the new contract that they offered that the workers rejected, it'd amount to a 10% pay cut. A 10% pay cut. In the year of our Lord, 2022, with 10% inflation. That means these people would be taking a 20% pay cut when you would account for inflation if they accepted what this company was trying to give to them in a year of record profits. The executive team saw a 53% raise in 2023, in 2022, as an average across all of them. A 53% raise. While they're asking these people to take a 20% pay cut. So, uh, I'm working on a follow-up piece for The Real News. I wrote an article about this lockout uh, when it started back in early October. And I'm working on a another piece for them. I'm working on another piece for them uh, that's going to be coming out here in the next week or so. And 
as part of that longer piece, I just wanted to get a feel for the political reaction. I obviously knew that none of the politicians were helping these people, but I wanted to see if I could get anything crazy, you know, get anybody saying anything crazy on the record. Um, and, uh, and if not, it would just be a short thing in the article. Well, I got somebody saying something crazy on the record. When I called Alabama State Representative Debbie Wood, a Republican from Lynette, Alabama, I asked her what she thought about this situation, and she said, and I quote, I mean immediately, like, <laughs> like it was not, she did not hesitate. <laughs> and I quote, I am very much on the side of management, unquote. Now, to be fair to her, uh, she also said after saying that she's on the side of management that she had no idea what was going on. <laughs> she, right. I, she, <laughs> she just knows, you know, whose side she, she typically is going to be on. Right. And so she she's made up her mind and yeah. doesn't need to know all the pesky facts. Yeah. I mean, as, literally, she said something like, quote, uh, you know, you can pull up my report. I, 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 since, since I got that quote, I was like. I'm very much on the side of management. That needs to be a headline somewhere, right? So I reached out to the Alabama political reporter. You can find the reporting there. And it's something like she said, I've not been made privy to, you know, what the offers are between management and the union. And it's like, the lady doesn't even know what's going on. There's no idea what's going on here. She just knows that workers are standing up for themselves and, and I don't like that. Mm-hmm. Um... So after I told her what was going on, you know, so I spent, I spent like 30, 40 minutes on the phone with her and I've got it on recording and I don't know, maybe I'll release it at some point. Um, I might release it in tandem with the real news article so that they can link to it. Um, but so I spent a long time on the phone with her explaining what was going on and, uh, and, and, and so, you know, she maintained her position that she's on the side of management um, because apparently something from the Cottonton Mill has to be done to make the Lynette Mill work. There's another West Rock Mill in Lynette in her district that is apparently dependent on the product from the Cottonton Mill. Um, and so she was like, well, you know, these people need to get the work so that my people can have a job. And I was like, is it necessary for, you know, is it really necessary for West Rock to take from these people in Cottonton? After I had explained all this to her, I asked her if it's necessary for people, um, you know, for, for West Rock to take from Cottonton to keep people in Lynette employed. And she, she said, I don't think they're taking from Cottonton. After I explained to her everything that I just explained to you. Yeah, and, apparently a 10% pay cut is not, yeah. does not count. Apparently that's not taking from Cottonton. Which, by the way, the 10% pay cut on those employees, and, and you're talking several hundred, what kind of impact is that going to have on the community? Right. Right, because those are folks that are spending money right there in their local community, at their local shops. Uh, they're getting gas at the local gas station. Right. These are. This is not money that's you know being sucked up and, and sent out of state to New York and Wall Street and places like that. So, you know... That's the thing that these political officials need to remember is that when working class people are losing income, the entire economy of their district is going to suffer. Yeah. I asked uh, several other um, 
Republican elected officials in the area, and most of them did not answer me. Some of them did. The ones that did said that they didn't really have a comment on it, that they, they similar to hers, they said they weren't sure what the issues were, which is like, let's just point out for a second that that's ridiculous. For, I mean, something going on within 30 minutes or an hour of you, you know, a lockout, the first lockout that this mill has had, the first striker, you know, labor dispute that they've had since 1973, the largest employer in Russell County. Oh, I don't know what's going on. How do you not know what's going on? How, think, how does that not the first the first day that this happens or the first day that you become aware of it? How do you not pick up the phone and call the union and call management and figure out what the hell's going on? How is that not the first thing that you do as an elected official in the area? Right. Well, and that's something else that we learn through covering these struggles is how our elected officials are so out of touch with, with what's really happening in their district. I mean, the largest employer in the county. Yeah. Impacting and these people several don't know. hundred folks who live in your community, who have families in your community, and you don't really know what's happening. Wow. District 2 Russell County Commissioner Scott Chambers, a Republican from Phoenix City, said that he has no comment on the situation due to his lack of familiarity. I at least respect um, them saying, I don't know anything, so I'm not going to comment on it, right. which is better than saying, I don't know anything, but I'm definitely on management's side. Yeah. So I asked him, this was, some of these people, you know, I was able to get in touch with them in email, some of them over the phone. Uh, so I had this guy on the phone. And so I asked him, I was like, well, you know, I've been reporting on this for a while. I'm, you know, pretty familiar with these folks. Would you like to, are you interested in being familiar with it? And he said, quote, not really. And I was like, okay, well, all right. <laughs> you know, it's just bonkers, mm. man. That's Looney Tunes. That's Looney Tunes. I don't know. I mean, <laughs> so, um, but look, listen to this though. Um, even though, Republican Representative Debbie Wood said she is on the side of management and other Republicans variously said, you know, I don't have a comment because, you know, I don't know or, uh, you know, I don't want to know. I don't care. <laughs> right? Um, uh, I don't want to let the Democrats off the hook uh, because actually the Democrats represent the district that the mill is in. Uh, you know, the Republican county commissioners, obviously some of them represent the, the district of the mill, uh, but all of the Republican uh, state reps and senators, they represent districts just outside of the mill. You know, so I called everybody kind of in that general area, but uh, so so Debbie Wood doesn't represent the mill, the, the, the area that the mill's in. It's just kind of close to it. Uh, same with these other Republicans. Uh, but Democrats actually represent the mill. And not... One of them responded to a request for comment. Not one of them. So first off, I want to mention uh, State Representative Barry Forte, Democrat from Eufaula. Workers tell me that he did, and so I want to make sure that folks understand this. Folks know this, that I'm not, like, you know, hiding stuff. Folks tell me that he did show up on the picket line the first day of the lockout and hand out his business card or whatever uh, and say that he supports them. And so, you know, that's good. That's fair enough. Uh, but they said that they haven't heard from him since the union leadership says that he has not called them. I have not been able to get him to respond to me. And so it's like, what are you doing? What's going on there? Well, if it's the same Barry Forte I, I'm familiar with, I believe he is 85 years old. Uh, yeah. Well, looking at his picture, that doesn't surprise me. So, <laughs> I mean, I, I, I'm not saying that has anything to do with it, but for all we know, 
he could literally be out of commission uh, right now. Either way, there's a problem when you have a major labor struggle in a district. And no one's hearing from you. No and, one's and hearing that, from right. your staff. You right. know, like presumably these people have staff, right? The staff could call the union and figure out what they can do as representatives of Representative Barry Forte. Yeah, so I don't, I don't know Mr. Forte. I don't know anything about his record. Uh, you know, I, like I said, I mentioned his age. But, uh, yeah, that's concerning. That's concerning when you have a major labor struggle happening and there doesn't appear to be any political representation for the workers involved. State Representative Jerry Gray, Democrat from Opelika, did not respond. State Representative Peblin Warren, Democrat from Tuskegee, did not respond. State Senator Bill Beasley, who, like Barry Forte, represents the district that the mill is in, Democrat from Clayton, did not respond. Mm. District 7, Russell County Commissioner Larry Screws, Democrat from Hertzboro, did not respond. District 5, Russell County Commissioner Caddy Epps, Democrat from Phoenix City, did not respond. District 4, Russell County Commissioner Ronnie Reed, Democrat, Phoenix City, did not respond. None of them. Some of these some of these people, Caddy Epps and Larry Screws didn't even have their phone numbers listed on the, like, so when you go to the Russell County Commissioner's website, you can see a list of the county commissioners. And somehow, like, all the Republicans have their personal cell phone number on them. And half the, most of the Democrats, two of the three Democrats, have the cell phone, have the, uh, the office number of the county commission's office listed under their name. And so I call this number that's listed under their name, and they're like, you know, county commission office, whatever. And I was like, this is the number under, you know, Caddy Epps. And she was like, well, this isn't her number. I don't know her number. <laughs> and I was like, what do you mean you don't know her number? That's crazy. Right. Like, And that's something that I have observed over the years in, in dealing with politics in Alabama. And I'm sure it's elsewhere, but, you know, I can only speak from my experience. But it's amazing the lack of transparency among local and state government. And sometimes how it's amazing how difficult it can be to just track down some of these people yes. and actually have a real conversation with some of these people. Um, yeah, it, it's it's not always easy to, to track these folks down and to get them to actually respond to constituents. And that cuts across party, unfortunately. Yeah. I don't know. It's bonkers it's bonkers man it's my i mean honestly like the republicans were way way more responsive to me um yeah. i mean i'd like the response but they were responsive yeah. and and frankly um i've heard that from a lot of folks across the state in terms of contacting legislators as well uh obviously republicans have a super majority in the legislature but you know i've i've it's not unusual to hear from people saying, hey, I never can get much response out of my Democrats, yeah. senator or Democrat representative, but I can get it from, from Republican such and right. such. I don't I like mean, what he tells me, but, right. you know, who respond to me? Seriously, that, that was my experience. I mean, half of these people, like, there were only, let me see, let me count, uh, State Representative Joe Lovern, Republican from Auburn, that's one. Jay Hovey, a Republican from Auburn, that's two. Uh, Randy Price, Republican from Opelika, that's three. And um, Rod Costello, a Republican county commissioner from Phoenix City, four. Only four of the Republicans didn't respond to me. 
Whereas every single Democrat did not respond to me. Seven. Hmm. Seven yeah, Democrats did not respond. Disappointing. And I mean, that also, you think about some of the things we've talked about in reference to the Alabama Democratic Party and how they can't get media coverage and things like that. And it's like, okay, well, here's an issue happening in your region. Right. The media is interested in covering it. You should jump on that, right? You should jump on that. Um, just from a political point of view, if nothing, I mean, aside from the fact that these are your constituents that you should actually be trying to assist and represent, I mean, just as a politician, right? Why would you not take advantage of an opportunity like that? Uh, yeah, it's it's very frustrating. It's insane. Um, and and you know, and I even I even called um, the chair of the party, Randy Kelly. And now on the issue, he had good things to say, and and you can read that. You can read his statement on the issue um, in the follow up piece that I'm going to have in the real news. That's going to be in there. Um, but uh, uh, for the original piece, I tried to get his help contacting Barry Forte. And he was like, I don't know him. I don't have his phone number. What? Do you, what? <laughs> you don't have his phone number. And he told me, you know, did you like research him and, and like try to find his phone number yourself? And I was like, yes, obviously I did. Yeah. And he doesn't, you know, chair of the state party doesn't have the phone number of a state representative. I mean, there's only like, what, three dozen of these people? You ought to have each of them on speed dial. Sta uh, uh, chair of the state party. Don't know the representatives. <laughs> One of the three that you have. Ridiculous. It's ridiculous. Well, I'll tell you, uh, I don't mean to necessarily defend Mr. Kelly there, but something he said in the interview we had with him was that well, he kind of mentioned more or less the quality of the existing Democrats in office. And, you know, maybe maybe there's something there. Um, Could be. Could may, be. You know, may, maybe there's some connection there in, in that comment yeah. and um, some of the lack of availability we're seeing from some office holders. Because, like you said, there's not a lot of them. Yeah. Uh, when Republicans have a supermajority in the legislature – and something equivalent across local offices and judicial offices, you know, yeah. at least do do well with what you got. Uh, and, and that's often been, I know, a frustration you and I have both had over the years with, with Alabama Democrats is even when you do have folks in office, what are they doing? Um, and are they using it? You know, fully acknowledging they may be in a minority position uh, from a vote standpoint, there's still plenty you can do as an advocate and as a representative of your constituents. Yeah. And it's not divisive to have expectations. <laughs> no. We got a super chat from Strom McCallum. Solidarity from South Carolina. No surprises here at all. The Democrat Republican parties are both instruments of bourgeois class dictatorship. Uh, yes. Yep. Uh, so as we're running out the main show, just a reminder for the people that are listening on the radio, you can find us online, Facebook, YouTube, at the Valley Labor Report, and you can continue watching us for another half of the show. It's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, but as we're wrapping this up, um, we've got some, we, we've just got some thoughts about some end of the year reflections. Um, so, you know, Adam, take it away. What are, sure. You know, how, yeah. how, how does the year in review look, look for you? 
So, uh, yeah, I just try to think about what have we been up to this year? Uh, we did a little bit of this last year as well. Just to recap some of our activities, some of what we've been talking about on the show. Um, one of the things that we did, and we, we referenced it earlier today, is we wrote a, uh, an op-ed responding to an op-ed from Senator Tommy Tuberville. Uh, the title is called Working People Should Reject the Lectures from Millionaires Like Senator Tuberville. It was published back in November. Uh, as Jacob mentioned, he has been covering the paper mill lockout in Cottonton, Alabama for the Real News Network. Uh, great piece he put out earlier this fall when it first happened. If you haven't seen that, definitely recommend you check it out uh, with more on the way. And Jacob also wrote about our old <sighs> friend of the show, <laughs> old friend of the show, Tim James. Uh, wrote about Tim James for the Real News Network, perhaps other outlets. I, I'm trying to remember there. I, I don't think so. I think that was only. Okay, was only yeah. Uh, I know you had some hits on Tim James, and then you had some hits on Steve Marshall for ignoring child labor in Alabama. Yeah, uh, that hit on Steve Marshall came out in Jacobin and the Alabama Political Reporter. Right, right. Um, one of the things I'm, I'm most proud of this year is that we were part of the planning committee to bring labor notes to Alabama. Uh, Jacob and I had an opportunity to attend the big Labor Notes conference this summer in Chicago. Uh, it was the first time for both of us, and we met up with some comrades while we were there. It was an amazing experience, and, and afterwards, we immediately had conversations with different people about how to do something on a smaller scale, but similar down here in Sweet Home, Alabama. And so we helped pull off the Alabama Troublemaker School in October, uh, located in uh, Montebello, and we had over 120 folks attend. It was a very successful event, if I can say so myself. Jacob moderated a really great panel with our dear friends Kim Kelly and Max Alvarez. I did a couple stewards workshops with a good brother from the CWA here in Huntsville, uh, and I wrote a little reflection about this experience that Labor Notes published on the Troublemakers blog. But for me, that was probably the coolest thing we did. Um, you know, it's not up there with Strike Fest. 2021, we had Strike yeah. Fest. It's hard to compete with that. But 2022, I would say the Alabama Troublemaker School is up there. It's one of the coolest things. Um, definitely look forward to doing future events like that. And speaking of Max and Kim, they were two of the excellent authors that we hosted on the show this year to discuss their new books. Max's book is called The Work of Living, Working People Talk About Their Lives in the Year the World Broke. Kim's book is titled Fight Like Hell. And uh, we also had Matthew Huber come on the show to talk about Climate Change as Class War, his book that came out this year. Uh, Damon Garcia came on to talk about The God Who Riots. I really enjoyed all those conversations. And I just wanted to point out uh, for Kim's book specifically, that one, uh, that got on several book lists. Yes. Um, the New Yorker and Esquire both said, both put that in their best books of 2022 list. BuzzFeed put it on the 25 books from 2022 that you will love. And Literary Hub uh, put it on their 38 favorite books of 2022. So uh, she really got around with that one. Um, and it's pretty cool she's been going on uh, you know some sometimes bands will go on tour she's been going on a book tour all over the country hawking her wares and uh so that's uh really cool to see see that kind of success from somebody that uh, that i feel comfortable calling a friend so that's awesome yeah absolutely yeah kim has been a great friend of the show and support of the show and max as well and so love to see their work come to fruition 
Uh, highly recommend them if you haven't read them. As far as what we talked about on the show, beyond talking to some really great authors, we continued our coverage of the Warrior Met Strike in Brookwood, uh, including today. Uh, that's how we decided to close the year, was with an update from UMWA. And we, we looked at developing campaigns throughout the state of Alabama, including this year's historic prison strike. We, of course, had a lot of discussion about the railroads, talking to multiple members of Rail Workers United, as well as journalists like Mel Buer and uh, Jonah Furman, who have been doing some of the best work out there on this issue. Uh, very proud of our special Labor Day episode we did, featuring a Unions 101 panel, as well as some Unions 102 in overtime. If you're new to unions or just want a refresher, I highly, highly recommend checking those out. Uh, the Unions 101 videos. Uh, we had a fantastic, diverse panel of, seriously, some of the smartest young organizers in the country. Um, pretty top-notch people. And so, yeah. really I, proud of that. I, I really enjoyed that. That's and, and you can check out the full, you know, all of this stuff, you can always go back and check it out. But I, I really enjoyed that. I love... Um, I love having unions 101 type stuff. That's something that we do every now and then, and and we'll we try to make it a little bit different each time. Uh, we have done a unions 101 ourselves. Uh, David and I did uh, back a couple of years ago. Then we've had different guests on. We had Connor on to do a couple uh, shows like that, and then we had this panel. So I don't know what we're gonna do for our next unions 101 show, but. Um, uh, already excited about it yeah and we believe in popular education that's part of why we do this show it's not just like news and, and our commentary but we like to at least try to educate folks too and so uh definitely going to be doing more of that in the year ahead we also talk politics on the show we covered the elections this year interviewing candidates for the may primary the august huntsville election and the november general election Personally, I had fun doing a deep dive on crooked Casey Werdinsky and covering the Huntsville School Board race, while I know Jacob enjoyed sparring with Tim James quite a bit during his failed gu gubernatorial nomination. An embarrassing third place behind the Slovenian ambassador. Uh, I don't even remember her name anymore. It was uh, Linda, <laughs> also Lindy, depending on, oh, yes. uh, I guess, the commercial. Yeah. Tim James, like... A household or James, you know, his his dad his daddy was a governor mm -hmm. and he came behind a no name Slovenian ambassador. <laughs> yeah. Um, Very funny. So we, we also talked a lot about the state of the Alabama Democratic Party, interviewing the previous chair, Chris England, as well as the current chair, Randy Kelly, along with discussions from multiple SDEC members, and of course throwing our two cents in there. As I mentioned earlier, we did some educational and training segments. We did some labor history with a uh, new monthly series I started this fall, along with some fascinating interviews, such as Mark Dudzik, who talked about the U.S. Labor Party effort in the 1990s. We had an interview with British miner John Dunn, who was actually in the chat this morning. I don't know if you're still with us, uh, Mr. Dunn, but shout out to you, um, who a British miner who was involved in the coal strikes of the 70s and the 80s in the U.K., and I really love that conversation we had uh, with Mr. Dunn. We've had some great historians on the show, like Harvey J.K. and Ahmed White, uh, share their expertise with us. Really always enjoy those opportunities. As far as uh, companies that came up a lot this year, Hyundai definitely came up a lot uh, with their legal problems involving both racism and child labor. 
what a duo. Um, <laughs> I can't I can't even like watch their commercials on TV without thinking of both of those subjects. Actually, yeah, imagine um, driving a Hyundai. Right. Yeah. So yeah, um, way to go with your PR. Anyway, uh, back during the legislative session, we spent a lot of time covering the so-called anti-riot bill. We did some extensive coverage of that, interviewing multiple activists who were fighting the bill, especially our friends at Hometown Action. So shout out to them. And along with the author of the bill himself, Mr. Uh, Representative Alan Treadway, which was a uh, fascinating conversation. We continued our coverage of the Starbucks unionization drive, including right here in the South, uh, including interviews with worker organizers in Tennessee, Birmingham, and our friends in Scottsboro. We also continued covering the wave of nonprofit organizing, including right here in Alabama at the SPLC, the Southern Poverty Law Center down in Montgomery. And of course, we talked to workers, organizers, and leaders from a variety of unions including our own unions, IATSE and AFGE, along with the Ironworkers, IBEW, RWDSU, the Machinist, the Teamsters, the UAW, and a whole lot more that I probably forgot on that list. Yeah. And that's it as far as stuff with the show. Um, don't know if you had anything to add there. I had a couple things to talk about, sort of separate from the show, just reflecting at the end of the year, but... Yeah, no, that that's it. I'm looking at this that you've you've got done up for the non-show stuff, and, and there's definitely some real good stuff that happened this year uh, outside of the show. You know, f- f- you know, funny enough, we weren't you know we weren't the only people doing cool stuff this year. So yeah, believe it or not, uh, there were other people <laughs> doing good stuff. And uh, shout out to Lee Baines and the Glorifiers for their album that came out this year. Old Time Folks came out in August. Uh, the album earned much-deserved recognition by being included in Rolling Stone's 100 Best Albums of the Year, as well as AO.com's End of the Year Roundup. For those of you who don't know, Lee Baines is a true brother to the movement. He was instrumental in making last year's Strike Fest happen, and there's no way we'd have raised as much money as we did for those miners if not for Lee. So he helped pull it all together, and, and on top of him and the band putting on a fantastic show for the crowd, this year saw the new album come out, and a couple of the songs I really like are Outlaws and Rednecks. Being that we're on a talk radio show, the song Lizard People is certainly one that resonates as well. Check that one out if you haven't listened. So great folks putting out great music while advocating for justice. Can't beat that. Uh, they really deserve these honors and a lot more. And I speak for all of us at the Valley Labor Report in wishing them much success in the new year ahead. Uh, I'm a fan of music, and while it's not really relevant to the show per se, I just I'm just gonna drop some of my favorites from the year. Uh, some of my favorite artists dropped new music this year, including Father John Misty, The Mars Volta, which definitely brought me back to high school, Jack White, Red Hot Chili Peppers, and the great Kendrick Lamar. So they all put out new albums this year that I really enjoyed. Uh, as far as TV well, and movies. Speaking of, speaking of albums that came out that made you feel like you were in high school, Under Oath put out a new album this year and definitely made me feel like I was in high school again in a good way. Uh, yeah, you love you love it when bands that uh, you connected with as a teenager then come back years mm-hmm. later to put out music that can still resonate. Uh, I mean, the Red Hot Chili Peppers have been doing this for decades. And right. 
I still dug some of the songs they were putting out in 2022, so that's pretty impressive. Um, me, personally, I'm not a big TV guy, so I can't say I watched a ton of TV this year. Uh, I'm not really one for those like prestige shows. Um, I have seen Mad Men all the way through. I love that. That's now several years old. Uh, <laughs> so uh, as far as current stuff, um, the best show I saw this year was Andor. If you are a fan of History from Below, I think you'll dig this show. You don't have to be a Star Wars person or even much of a sci-fi fan. Uh, in many ways, the sci-fi Star Wars setting kind of fades into the background as you're sucked into the stories of people both resisting and participating in oppression and how those struggles intersect. Uh, because you have rebels and you have the Empire and you kind of get to know people on the ground floor of each which I found uh, refreshing. It's more a story about revolution and empire than space lasers and robots. Uh, not really a huge fan of all the new Star Wars, Star Wars stuff that's come out in the last decade or so. Um, just hasn't really connected with me, uh, but I put this in a different league. Some great acting, great writing, great pacing. So uh, if you're looking for something to check out, I do recommend Andor. Stick with it till at least episode three. First two episodes are the slowest. A lot of exposition there. Uh, but if you stick through episode three, I'd be surprised if you weren't hooked. And um, you can't really expect much entertainment industry attention to like serious issues. You know, most of us know that the entertainment industry is now down to like a handful of companies. You've got, you know, Disney owns just about everything. And then... Uh, just a couple others. And so these mega corporations, you can't really expect them to grapple honestly and seriously with, with real topics like mm. empire and revolution and dehumanization, the sacrifices of resisting oppression, the banality of evil, you know, how people interact with systems that shape our lives. And I thought it was pretty interesting and entertaining um, on that front. And that's pretty that's a pleasant surprise for me. I'll take that as a pleasant surprise. So that was kind of the uh, one show that stuck with me this year. The one new show that, that's really stuck with me is Abbott Elementary. Um, it's yeah. a fantastic show. And I think, you know, similarly, I was surprised at how well it gets like the class stuff that, that working teachers go through. You know, the principal's a bumbling idiot, um, even if it does make her kind of likable. Um, and and in the next season, they're going to be dealing with issues with charter schools. And the way that they set it up, it seems like they're going to have a good seems like they're going to have a good take on it. Um, so I'm yeah. looking forward to the next season. I really thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed that. Um, I, you know. I always cringe when I see new shows coming yeah. on about schools because I just, you know, right. fear as a former teacher and, and with so many teachers in my family, I just, I fear the way the teachers are going to be depicted. Have and you seen, have you been able to see Abbott Elementary? I've seen yet? a few episodes of it. And based on, you know, what I've heard from, from you, what I've heard from other people I trust, and and what I've seen so far, it seems like they really do it justice and and try to uh, have a, an accurate depiction of what teaching's like, and and not just uh, beat up on the teachers or yeah. anything like that. So that's definitely refreshing on mainstream TV. Something else that I did this year was I got caught up to One Piece, uh, which has like a thousand episodes. It's like a it's a you know uh, an anime about pirates. And uh, and so I finally got caught up 
to One go. Piece. And so they've been like, they started releasing episodes in like, I don't know, like 93 or 94 or something ridiculous. Um, and so they've got a thousand episodes and I got caught up. So I am now watching, uh, I'm now watching new episodes as they come out. I enjoy that. I also finally watched Gruen Lagan. Had never seen that before. I enjoyed it. It was good. So uh, I think we can probably wrap it up there. Uh, there was a couple of plugs I wanted to make sure we uh, dropped, uh, including the UMWA Strike Pantry. Uh, we heard from the Secretary Treasurer earlier from the UMWA. You can support the striking families at paypal.me slash UMWA Strike Pantry. And our friends Obed Edom dropped a new album recently, Done Up in Jade Like Green Waters. Uh, so check out their band camp. Their band camp that's Obed Edom. You can leave us a voicemail at 844-899-TVLR, and you can buy a hat or give us some money, make a little donation. We sure would appreciate it at tvlr.fm. We're actually, I think this is going to be our first episode that's going to be on Unclaimed Mysteries Radio, which is a Huntsville-based internet radio station. They, From their description, they do 1970s FM underground radio style, eclectic local and regional music with experimental sounds, noisy and otherwise, Huntsville, Alabama arts, culture, politics, audio theater, comedy. Uh, so lots of stuff there. You can listen on Live 365. Just Google Unclaimed Mysteries radio that's awesome yeah always happy to uh expand our partnerships and collaborations absolutely so uh with that we are going to go ahead and head out of here we're going to go into overtime where we're going to be playing some clips commenting on some more news of the day and uh it's going to be fun so find us on youtube facebook at the valley labor report until then see you next week (laughs) 